You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. You raised your eyebrows at me like you wanted me to start. I did. And I did. Yeah, it was I perfect. I caught that nonverbal cue. Yeah, I was on the tail end of a very long yawn. <laughs> I'm like, you got to take it from here. I'm in trouble. Isn't it wild that we can discern meaning and communication and intent from a look? Yeah. An eyebrow raise. That kind of is. A bodily posture. Like you can come to know somebody so well that the way they use a word or the way they look or the lack of a use of a word yeah. can signal to you, hmm. Like a different layer of meaning. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of wild. That is wild. Wow, this is about to be like really depressing. Okay. Sad. Zach and I were talking about this before we were recording, but the um, Gabby Petito yeah. case, mm-hmm. I guess one of the theories, I had actually really not even heard anything about it until this morning, ironically, yeah, morning just, of recording. I've just seen some headlines recently. But the thinking goes that her fiance confiscated her phone at some point while she was still alive and was sending texts from her phone because when her family got texts from her allegedly it was like oh she's not that's not how she texts yeah like i mean that's depressing but like how odd is it that you can know that like oh For i real. know this person texts this way and it's not like i could define something like that you know like morgan for example like it's not like i could tell you oh here's how she texts but i could tell you if oh like someone else sent that text from her phone because that isn't like the kind of thing she would yeah. send. Isn't that weird? That is really weird. It's kind of, I mean, in that context, of course, it's very unsettling. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's, it's impressive. Also, Why don't everybody, it's like everyone's like, I'm done listening to this. this is sad. I'm thinking to myself, do I reference these other cases that when something <laughs> similar happened? Like, maybe I don't. But I think that's one of the, like, there's something about that. It's like, um, this probably sounds really gross to say out loud um, within the context of like, there's a family out there grieving. But detached from this, let's let's maybe reference an older case obliquely when something like that were to happen it's almost like the jump scare effect but in real life Mm -hmm. where like the like the creep factor seeps in very it's like it chills the blood in your veins very sudden you're like wait what what? yeah they did what it's um i don't know there (laughs) see this is what sounds gross it adds drama like that sounds really awful to say but um you know that's why they're out there making a million documentaries about true crime but you know i'm not here to wave that flag It's a different conversation. <laughs> it, it is um, all brought about by a simple eyebrow raise yeah. that no one in our listening audience could see because it's an audio format. But that's true. I saw it mm-hmm. and I discerned correctly, I think, right? Yeah. That oh, yeah. The, you know, that was, right, it was yeah. the yawn, the whole yawn thing. It was the, the thing. Yeah. It's always really awkward when you get a nonverbal cue from somebody. And you don't know what to do. And you don't know what to do, or you do something and it was wrong. Oh, that's very embarrassing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel sh- I feel personal shame when that happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like I failed the friendship. <laughs> <laughs> that's on me. Like, when you're having a conversation with someone, and, uh, you know, every once in a while you have that conversation with someone, and you're like, I kind of want to, I need to get out of this, but I can't, and I can't <laughs> oh, find a way to do it. I see. Yeah. And a friend walks in, and you give them, like, the eyes to like, come <laughs> save me. Yeah. But they take that as somehow like, oh, I interrupted something that like, this is something I need to get away from if they like misinterpret it and then they yeah. leave and you're like, or if you, it's the opposite case where you're like, this is kind of a, you know, like we were just having something and you kind of walk over like, hey, what's up? And you're like, uh, yeah, dying inside. <laughs> that's really, that's especially rough. Oh, Dang. the foibles of living as human beings. In the words of the great prophets and poets of our time, the killers, are we human or are we dancer? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, anyway, humanity. <laughs> what are you going to do? You, uh, you talked to me recently. I like that physical point that no one else could yeah! say. Yeah! 
yeah, that was it. Another one right there. But uh, you, know, you you had talked to me recently about the idea of like, what is it that makes something sacred? Yeah, I'm very like preoccupied by this notion. I I don't know. I'm very attracted to the conversation around this. And it was recently brought back to my attention when I had heard Sean Astin, whom we all know as the great Samwise Gamgee. In the evergreen epic, The Lord of the Rings. Amen. Potatoes. <laughs> boil them. Mash them. Stick them in a stew. Carry on. <laughs> no, never truer wisdom than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in a podcast, he was talking about something his father says, who he himself was an actor, didn't realize he's Gomez Adams, the OG. That's wild. The Adams family. But um, Gomez himself once said... <laughs> <laughs> Another uh, prophet of our time. <laughs> Apparently, he would say, uh, every human interaction is sacred. And that really caught me off guard, partially because I like this type of conversation, but I just so did not expect it in that context. But I'm like, man, I feel like this desire to kind of agree-ish. Mm. Like, or, or I, I'm like, I want that notion to somehow be true. There's something about that, that I think is, a, is attractive to me. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because it's the kind of language I would like to use. And so I'm like, oh, cool. Someone else is, you know, maybe trying to look at the world in a similar, in a similar idealistic way. Yeah. And I think I've nearly said some pretty similar things about like the pursuit of art in the right. art world. Like it doesn't have to be, you know, the infamous... Last Supper, mm-hmm. great as it is, nor does it necessarily have to depict anything of the church to enrapture you in emotion and, mm-hmm. and power and meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think to evoke an experience like that feels like something that you could almost call sacred mm-hmm. or or you know, like the act of being able to tap into something transcendent. Yeah. That is, I think that is something really special. Mm-hmm. And to then look at, you know, the way we interact and to, you know, go back to the quote that started all of this, if every human interaction is sacred, how then does that affect my approach to those around me? How do I see them? What is my mm-hmm. attitude? You know, how do I conduct myself then? Yeah. If I believe anything like that, if I even have, you know, like the theological license to, <laughs> you know, I, I, I know how kind of like lofty and maybe corny that it all sounds, mm-hmm. but you know, I think um, like for the art world, if I believe all of this about art and then I walk into the gallery, you know, the Baltimore Museum of Art, shout out to you, Baltimore. <laughs> It's a great one. What is my experience then? What does that say about it, my experience? Yeah. Versus engaging with actual living people. You know, like, mm-hmm. what, is, what does it say about that engagement and how I relate to people or, or fail in doing so? Right. You know? Yeah. I find that extremely, I feel like fascinating almost makes it sound like. That's the weird thing about this is it makes it sound like, oh, this is like a something you stick out of the microscope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this conversation, even though it's touching on things that I... I think that instinct is right to treat these interactions with human beings as sacred. I mean, you think human beings are the only creatures, the only things in all of creation stamped with the image of the immortal, invisible, living God, you know, and how quickly we forget that. And I think I am speaking a little bit, you know, not personally, but this is um, theological opinion, you know, theologuminan, as the theologians say. But, um, I find it a little bit of shame that subconsciously I think most of us would treat the world in terms of sacred versus non-sacred. Mm. You know, I, I I think if you don't have this conversation in a full-orbed way, like that quote from Gomez Adams, the prophet Gomez <laughs> Adams, he says, that that does, you'll subconsciously pit things in terms of sacred versus non-sacred. Yeah. You know, not like like an ill-intended way or something like that. It's just like, oh yeah, like we categorize things like that. We have mm-hmm. boxes, you know, it's exactly. like, here's the sacred stuff and here's the not-sacred stuff. Yeah. And 
you know, depending on how disenchanted, quote unquote, or secular your worldview might be, there may not be a concept for sacredness as such at all. Hmm. You use the word transcendent. I like that word. Yeah. I think people are, to one degree or another, always kind of striving for that. Yeah. But they sometimes they don't use those terms. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're using the term transcendent or sacred because that almost, by definition, those words imply something mystical isn't the right word, but like, oh, something amazing beyond us Hmm. that we're trying to touch and tap into and receive something of. But, you know, I don't think you can deny that hunger. And before we get into, I think, a more full-orbed theological discussion of this as a concrete example, and I don't have any data supporting this, by the way, it's completely a hunch, but Morgan and I were talking about this. I was at a wedding recently, Mm -hmm. and, you know, as people do these days, they, I mean, they rent out these I mean, extravagant and beautiful wedding venues. Sure. This particular wedding was at a lavender farm. And it was, oh, it was gorgeous. Oh, wow. So beautiful. And then, I mean, you have these, you know, I mean, everyone is dressed up. You know what I mean? Like, guys are in these, like, suits, ladies in these dresses, and you get the bride coming down, and the pastor is there, and you have these, like, very sacred words being said. Right, yeah. And it's a very transcendent experience. Hmm. And I was talking to Morgan about wondering, because... All this brought up the discussion of, man, they paid X amount of dollars to rent this venue (laughs) for, I mean, all that said, a 15-minute ceremony. Yeah. And then, you know, oh, like, we eat some food and dance and then go home. Mm -hmm. And the amount of money. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Like, why would you do that? Because to me, I'm like, that's... Gives me anxiety. That's crazy. Yeah, like, oh, my (laughs) word. But I was thinking... We do, like, generally as a culture, we live in a sort of disenchanted world. Right. And I think for a lot of people, especially if maybe you didn't happen to grow up in the church and you don't have categories for this sort of thing, or if you grew up in a church setting where, you know, it was, you, again, you know, you can go to a church where this is not, you know, you don't get that sense of the transcendent and the sacred. This is the closest thing you might ever get is your wedding day. That moment of like, you know, like how many situations in your life do, just take another one example, do you have a man stand up and when he says a set of words, something new has ha- like happened, like something happened because of what he said, like you were not husband and wife before he said you are husband and wife. He changed that by speaking like that's that's an incantation. That's like that's magical. Yeah, basically. You don't get that hardly anywhere anymore. I'm getting into, I, we're going to, we need to get into the theological, you know, and the biblical grounds for this, but like it used to be, and I'm not necessarily advocating for transubstantiation, but like <laughs> every week that you had communion, you know, and there are a lot of Protestant traditions that are completely orthodox that, you know, it was like when you said the words of institution, the common bread and cup became something different. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just, we don't have that anymore, I guess is my point. It's like, that's not common in culture, this this idea yeah. of sacred and transcendent. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's why, you know, people will spend exorbitant amounts of money like on a, you know, a wedding venue because like you just don't get that anymore. Yeah. Now, that's just completely a hunch and like maybe one concrete example of sure getting at this. But I do think that we can make the case that scripture doesn't. The scripture doesn't divide the world into sacred versus not sacred. Mm-hmm. I'll steal a line from the great poet Wendell Berry here. Um, he said once that there are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated mm-hmm. places. I, I love that line so, so much. Yeah. And I, I think it's like such a flip on what we're inclined to think or, or like what we're so used to thinking. Yes. I think it's easy to kind of limit like sacredness 
to the trappings of the church mm-hmm. and its structure and its yep. liturgies. And I say that as like, we're fans of liturgies here. Right, right. But then kind of unintentionally spurn everything outside of those very neat lines mm-hmm. as like other. I think that creates problems on both sides. It does. Your yeah. attitude of what you consider sacred and how you approach it, as well as your attitude of anything else. Right. Yeah, I mean, like to take that straight from the Bible, at the beginning, all of creation is very good. Mm-hmm. Again, the material world is not a bad thing. <laughs> Like, God loves matter. He invented it. He created it. You know? You think about this. The world was originally supposed to be a temple in which the people of God dwelt with God, right? Like, that's, I mean, like, the whole scheme of it. And I'm not just making that up either. Like, you can exegete that from Scripture. We could do a whole other episode on this. Maybe we should. But, like, if you look at the verbs used to describe how Adam was supposed to care for the Garden of Eden, same verbs are used for how the Levites are supposed to care for the tabernacle. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that is And that's not on accident. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And so, you know, you get creation supposed to be this temple, and then, you know, we screwed that up, so we needed an actual temple to be a mini world where we could come and, you know, meet with God. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, all that is to say is, like, yeah, all this stuff that God made was sacred and not desecrated until Adam rebelled, sin entered the world, and death through sin, because death is the ultimate, I think you could say, desecration. It is the desecration of life. God is life and light, and then you get death and darkness that comes out of this sin, and it absolutely desecrates and profanes that which is good. So, to put it in the terms of like how we live our lives, okay, just so again, put this in other terms, we are either striving for holiness or we are living in unholiness. Like, there's no neutral state. Mm. I think it's it's like, there's there's not this like mystical place where it's like, oh, we're like Switzerland, you know, we're neutral, you know, like, nothing's happening. Like, it's sacred or it's desecrated. You're living holily or you're living unholy, like set apart to the Lord, right? And in the last analysis, this is, I think, borne out by the fact that Christ will be neutral to no one. Like at the end, there are the lambs and there are the goats. Like there are those who were faithful to the end and those who never believed. There were those who praised and those who blasphemed. Like there's no, there's not you an know, alternative. Yeah, it's here. not like, um, oh, like the TV show. You have the good place and the bad place. In the TV show, the good place. I love that show. So good. But yeah, there's no medium place. And that's a joke. Like, oh, there's a medium place. You know what I mean? Like the lukewarm. Place. Yeah, like the lukewarm place. Right? Yeah, like, there's no there's lukewarm place. Right? That doesn't exist. So to come back originally to what we were talking about mm-hmm. before we end up on all these diatribes, trying to demonstrate this is a biblical idea, I think too. What does this mean for how we like, walk in the world and how we interact with one another? Yeah, I think coming back to that. And all of this put me in mind of a semi-long C.S. Lewis quote okay. um, <laughs> from a sermon he preached entitled "The Weight of Glory," which okay. I just love that title the weight of glory you know what i mean like man why don't man golly (laughs) now it is a bit long but i want to quote it in its entirety because it is so i mean you could you just pick this thing apart and just talk about it for days probably but here's what he said it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is with mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. 
Now, this does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love, with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way, for in him also Christ verilatitat, the glorifier and the glorified glory himself truly is hidden. That's just so good. It is. It is so good. I don't even know where to begin. Like when I'm walking around, you know, I was in Target the other day. I am just walking by left and right. People who, in Lewis's words, are going to either be everlasting splendors or like eternal horrors. Yeah. And just walking by like, no big deal. You know, like I need to get whatever I came to Target to get like that. Like the most important thing to me when I'm at Target is I need to get my thing. You know, I'm here to get whatever. Birthday card, gallon of milk, whatever. That's like my focus. Meanwhile, all these human beings, you know, like with all that potential he talked about and ugh, like you just, there's a John Mark McMillan line from a song that, um, oh, see, and now I've, I've almost lost it, but he talks about like, you could spend your whole life oh, on like yeah. one person, like think yeah. about one person and it wouldn't be for naught. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you were just, if you ever, I'm, I'm rambling here, I know, because my mind is just so blown and overwhelmed. <laughs> and it is every time I, I read that or think about this, but mm-hmm. if you just today, as you're going about your business, look in the face of a stranger. Don't be weird about it. Like, don't, you know, don't do it in such a way that they're like, why is this guy like looking at me? Right, but like, right, right, right. Look in the face of a stranger and ask yourself, what all have they endured in their life? Yeah. How did they get to be the person, whoever they are today? What are they going to be doing today? What has happened to them? What kinds of things have they done? Who has loved them? Who have they loved? How have they been hurt? I mean, what words have been spoken to them that they can't forget? What words have they spoken to others they can't forget? I mean, yeah. you just, it's amazing. And we just walk by each other like it's no big deal. And again, I mean, Lewis, I think, pointed out, like, you can't be perpetually solemn. Like, you just can't do that, right? You would be overwhelmed constantly if you could right. see that. Sure. But I do think it comes back, again, to this original point. It's like, how do we interact with people when we do interact with them? Mm-hmm. When that person comes up to you and you start thinking, like, oh, like this again? Like, right. do I want to do this again? I really do think it's part of our Christian duty to take a deep breath and say, Christ very latitat. Like, this could be the person in whom Christ himself is hidden. You know what I mean? Especially like if you know they're Christian, that is absolutely true. And even if they're not Christian, they're still made in the image of God. Like they still bear that eternal stamp. Right. So in the other words, we're always dealing with the very handiwork of God. We can't escape it. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm getting at is like to come back to this whole thing. Yeah, there is nothing that is unsacred. It's all sacred or it's desecrated. Right. But that's that's exactly it. You know, you can't escape it, whether you're shopping at Target or you're working at your desk or you're sipping coffee with your friend or you're walking through the woods. And when we are dealing with people, we are dealing with those who bear the image of God. And when we're dealing with Christians, we're dealing with those with whom Christ himself dwells. The very spirit of God dwells within them. I actually remember a pastor once preaching a message. I can't remember where I was or if I was watching it. I don't remember this. But what I do remember is he preached it as a prayer. Like he was talking to God as you do in prayer. But the whole idea, he was looking at the congregation. And the reason he said that, and he acknowledges, like, I know that they will feel weird when I do this, Lord, but I'm looking at them while I do it because you dwell within them. Like, this is the closest I can get to looking at you right now. Yeah. And 
everyone we meet will either live into that image in the most astonishing way possible. Like you would be tempted to fall down and worship that person that you think is dull and uninteresting if they became that everlasting mm-hmm. splendor. Or they're going to so mar and corrupt that image within them through sin, like so destroy it that they're going to become the kind of horror that you know, you would you would absolutely fall down in terror and say, "Let a mountain fall down on me and hide me from right. this." Yeah. But the one thing that none of us shall ever be is unsacred. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, you know we're either going to be the judge of angels or we're going to be the horror of hell. Like you don't get an in between. You're either or. And we want more people to be judges of angels. <laughs> and I think that to bring this home to a point is that that interaction you have may be the thing that God uses to bring them to Christ. Mm. And that's how he works. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, just, he does it through those things. He'll do it through like the most simple gesture or word that you thought was unimportant and didn't think about, but they remember for years. Right. It's like kind of overwhelming, but it, kind of it feels like in a good way. You know what I mean? Like there's this like, I don't know, because it's like, and God is with you when you're doing that. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about that transcendence. You know, like it feels very much out there, but mm-hmm. like some philosophers talk about this, like the transcendent becoming imminent, not like imminent, like, oh, it's almost here, like imminent, like close, yeah, like drawing near. Mm-hmm. And uh, so much so that scripture says the spirit of God himself dwells within you. You were talking about the temple at the beginning. You are that temple now pretty remarkable it gives me pause like a fair amount of weight and i think i like that i think yeah. i like maybe having that check but i think also you know like you're right it, it could it could become overwhelming you could be like oh i'd, I'd be better off to retreat to a monastery right yes it's like no 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 yeah. like that's not what contributes to like the the greatest human flourishing yeah. is is hiding yourself away and cutting off the world that's right that's not mm. the posture towards creation and you know yeah created images of god that's right you have at the beginning god saying go forth, you know, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Not in like the, you know, we the word subdue, I think, has negative connotations right. for us. Right, not in the sense God of... meant that, like, work the garden mm-hmm. and make it beautiful. Help things do what they're supposed to do. To the end of its flourishing, not yeah. its subjugated destruction. Right, yeah, so it's like, well, I'm doing all this great stuff, but, you know, the uh, animals are dying, you know, like, I'm, like, beating this cat or whatever, you know what I mean? Right, that's so... Because even those animals are, you know what I mean? Those animals are... Exactly. ...sacred, too. You know, God loves them. He made them. So Solomon said, uh, he who treats his uh, his beast rightly is a righteous man. So uh, anyway, but I do like that because um, it touches on all of these things that I love, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's, you know, anyway, it's another topic for another time. I don't want to, <laughs> I've taken up plenty of time already. So thank you as always for listening. I hope this enchanted your day a little bit yeah. in the best way possible. If you would like to ask us any questions on this or any other topic, you can shoot those to podcast at horizonschurch.net where you can interact with us on social media. And if it did enchant your day a little bit, if it brought you uh, a little more of that weight of that glory, you can leave us an honest five-star review. Yeah. As we used to say back in the day, it's the only kind of honest. It's the only kind of five. (laughs) 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 But thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time.